All right. So the next franchise that we decided to watch was the Harry Potter series. What I would say is the greatest franchise of all time. Um, no surprise of any. And that was a big commitment that we all committed to. That was eight films. I think it's one of the longest, probably one of the longest ongoing storylines in any franchise. I mean, you have the Skywalker saga, but that arguably is, you know, very broken up. Yeah, uh, we don't need to get into that. But uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. When we were going through this. I didn't know if I could make it through. I like. I do not. So fun, funny story. My family, my stepmom forced my stepbrother to watch these movies when I was younger. I was in high school, I believe, or just out of high school. And we watched the entire franchise in like a week to where he hates Harry Potter today. Like absolutely hates it. Are you talking uh, about the stepbrother that we met? Yes. Yes. He absolutely hates Harry Potter because when we were younger, we watched the entire Harry Potter franchise within like a single week. Uh, it, it may have been like a bit longer, like over a month or two. But my stepmom, she, she's obsessed, and she constantly kept forcing him to watch the next movie and the next movie, and he fucking hates these <laughs> movies. I was like, come on, like give it some slack. I don't know how you could, sociopath. I know, right? <laughs> but I was going through it. I, was just, I don't know if I could make it through at certain points, but I'm glad I did. Yeah, and you know, I um, going into this, the only thing I really wanted was because I I obviously love Harry Potter and I know that Chase has watched these movies before and I know that he enjoys Harry Potter but you were the person that never I feel like really gave it the credit mm-hmm. I think it deserved and that I think going into this you were the person I was most um just anxious to have watch it and then also to hear what you thought of it yeah I was pleasantly um, surprised I enjoyed it more than I was expecting to but let's go into the the first film. So the first film, um, I will give a synopsis for. Uh, that also feels like ages ago when we watched it. Yeah, it was but, two weeks ago. Um, it was the sor- It's the Sorcerer's Stone, or originally titled the Philosopher's Stone. In the- and um, it's the first film in the franchise. It's the first film. It's the introduction. You basically get to meet this young boy, Harry. Um, You meet him as a baby in a small scene where you kind of find out through dialogue that he's famous and he is like in hiding. And then you meet him again at 11 years old and you meet him with his terrible aunt and uncle and his cousin who bully the shit out of him. Uh, They dislike him for a really strong reason that you don't really know. You just know that they dislike the crap out of him Um, and he's treated like crap. And then one day he gets a bunch of letters that just don't seem to uh, stop showing up through magic, obviously um, that want to invite him to, to a school called Hogwarts, you know, about magic. I feel kind of dumb explaining this. Cause I feel like who doesn't know <laughs> like what like, you know, that's, that's basically how it is. And so the movie entails him going to this school, meeting these first people, year. It's his first year. Uh, you find out through the movie that his parents were murdered. By and he's also dark... fucking rich. He's loaded. His parents set him up <laughs> very nicely. Um, I was shocked when I which, found that out. Which is such a contradictory to the way that we met him in the first few scenes of the film. He lives under, the a, a, under a staircase in the cupboard. You know, it, it's very bad. Um, you find out that his parents were murdered from a dark wizard and... That was why he was put in hiding, and that's why everyone knows him because this dark wizard couldn't kill, could kill every single person, but but one person, and that the one person is Harry. He's the boy who lived, and not only did he stop Voldemort from killing him, but he also destroyed him in the process, which is why Harry is celebrated in the wizarding world and 
revered and he's a celebrity because he got rid of this evil person. That's how Voldemort went away the first time? Yeah. I didn't even know that. Thanks for telling me. Yeah. <laughs> he was destroyed when he tried to kill Harry. Um, wow. And Frankie, so, they said it like a million times in the series. I know. I just, Lily's love. Don't even get me started. I'm going to get pissed <laughs> off. So, um, anyways, he meets, you know, he meets friends, Ron and Hermione. Those are some pivotal characters in his life throughout the rest of the series. Um, he meets a character named Snape, who's introduced as like the mean potions professor, who throughout the whole movie, uh, the, the gang, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, kind of convince themselves that... He is after the Sorcerer's Stone, uh, which is an object that is being hidden in the castle, guarded by a three-headed dog. You know, it's like under a huge manner of protection. And the three of them convince themselves that this professor, Professor Snape, is like trying to get it to bring Voldemort back. Um, towards the end of the movie, we find out that they were completely wrong. And mm -hmm. Severus Snape was actually not trying to get the stone. He was trying to protect it from another professor, a professor we kind of are introduced in the beginning of the movie and then kind of reminded by throughout the entire film um, as like this weird stuttery kind of professor who later yeah. reveals that he has underneath his turban Voldemort's actual like head, like his soul and body is living in him. It's, it's very really disgusting. Scary as a kid. It's very disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Basically, in the final finale of the film, Harry has to battle this professor uh, from getting the stone and does so successfully. He actually turns him into ash by just touching him, which Harry finds out at the end of the movie was through uh, a very powerful magic, which Dumbledore tells Harry is love. Um, his mother, when she sacrificed his herself for Harry, she put this kind of uh protection over him and that is why he was able to do so uh it's a very beautiful moment um and then the film basically ends with that whole year being over harry's getting on the train getting ready to leave go back to his aunt and uncles and my one of my favorite lines in the film is when hermione turns to him and she says it feels strange to be going home doesn't it and he says i'm not going home not really and it just makes me get chills because Hogwarts is his home and it's such a beautiful, beautiful movie. It's obviously harder to get into, I think, if you're an adult and you didn't grow up watching it. Yeah. Because they are children and you're watching a movie about children movie. and it's a kid's mm -hmm. movie. Um, but when you watch the entire series and then go back and watch it, it's one of the most heartwarming, beautiful movies because you know that things are only going to change from here and they're going to go through so much. And I think it's a really well done first film. Kind of side note, but not side note. Do you guys know the Sorcerer's Stone is considered to be a real thing? Like it's based off. Yeah, of it's based off real, real ideas. Thing. Yeah. Really, I when I found that out, I was like shocked. I was like, "That's pretty fucking cool." Yeah. The guy who made it is like a, a lot of what Harry Potter has is based off of real stuff. J.K. Rowling took inspiration from a lot of like stuff. Yeah. Let's get on to the next synopsis. The next one is the Chamber of Secrets, and after the first one, Harry. Uh, still living at home during the summer, but he gets to school that year with Ron via the magical car because they missed the train because they were effing around. <laughs> um, um, and this year, they kind of feel everything is going to be okay. We defeated Voldemort in the last film. Nothing's going to happen, but they can't be more wrong because everything goes to shit. Once again, they have a new dark arts teacher uh, who is basically just a celebrity teaching them with little girls 
fawning over him. Very inappropriate. Really, very inappropriate. And he also, like, out of all the Dark Arts teachers, he sucks because he doesn't know anything. Um, I don't know how this guy even got his job there. Uh, but going yeah. through the film, Harry's growing older. He's in his second year, and he starts hearing voices, and it starts leading him to this certain area of Hogwarts where the Chamber of Secrets lies, but they don't know where it's at, and he doesn't know where these voices are coming from. But every time he hears it, something bad happens. Someone is, would you say it's possessed is what happens to them? Petrified. They're petrified. Petrified. They're basically like turned to stone. Stone, frozen, whatever. And he ends up through the film meeting Tom Riddle, who you later find out is uh, Voldemort. Um, and when you say, what is that? I am Tom Riddle. It spells out to, or I am Lord Voldemort. I am Tom Riddle. No, Tom Marvolo Riddle. That's his full Riddle. name. Mm -hmm. It spells out, I am Lord Voldemort. I am Lord Voldemort. And so you find that out through the series and you find out he kind of gets it back. It's cool. You get the backstory kind of on Voldemort as a piece of crap kid he was at Hogwarts. You get him um, framing his diary in the second one. Yeah, uh, framing. Um, uh, what's his name? Um, the big guy. <laughs> Hagrid. Hagrid. I was going to say Hedgewig for some reason. Uh, <laughs> uh, framing Hagrid. And throughout the film, they then find where the Chamber of Secrets is. And he finds Ron's sister down there, Ginny. And it leads up to being Tom Riddle down there, possessing her, uh, maneuvering things around the school the entire year. And then Harry is to defeat the serpent down there and uh, kill one of the... Um, it's a big-ass serpent. The diary. Dude. It's a huge serpent, and if you are scared of spiders, you get that in this film, and then you get the snake as well. So it. Uh, oh, is that spider scene in this film? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I fucking. Yeah, Hagrid tells him to oh, yeah, like, the spiders. Yeah. So basically, to piggyback what Chase said, Tom frames Hagrid back in like the fifties for opening the chamber because Hagrid had a pet spider, who later Harry and Ron meet as like this huge spider with like millions of children. And the, it's. A fucking disgusting i think it's more disgusting than shelob but i also might be desensitized to shelob well there's just more of them in harry potter yeah there's, there's like just a ton oh god i don't want to think about it <laughs> awesome well on to the next film i had seen the entire franchise when i was except for the entirety of prisoner of azkaban i thought i hadn't seen it at all Rewatching it there was a lot of scenes i did remember so there's i may have seen it when i was a kid um but my entire life i was under the impression i hadn't seen prisoner of azkaban so it was really nice being able to see Prisoner of Azkaban. We watched it the same day as Chamber of Secrets, so that was a lot. But it's definitely, this is where things start to get a bit different. They are now a year older. They're 13, I believe, in Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. They're starting to get older. They're starting to become more mature. Their balls are starting to drop, you know. <laughs> uh, and this one is directed by Alfonso Cuaron, and it's very different in that all the films are kind of like a self-contained story but they also all contribute to the rest of the saga in a way uh where prisoner of azkaban there's a lot you get from it but you could also take it out and it's a completely standalone film uh in every sense of the word it, it is very standalone it follows them in their third year it's a lot darker the kids are back to school and there is a wizard that has broken out of the prison of Azkaban. This wizard is Sirius Black, who you come to know throughout the film. There's a new defense against the Dark Arts Professor, who is definitely the best of the entire franchise, I think without a doubt. 
uh, the best defense against the dark professor they get. Harry has someone that he can relate to. And I feel like I really like this film because he gets like two father figures in a way. I'm not trying to spoil it too much, uh, but he has like two father figures, which he hasn't had present really for much of the franchise at all. Um, in this film and he is starting to deal with darker themes the whole series starts to take a darker turn at this point um in that the the color palette is obviously darker but it's darker subject matter you get introduced to the the mentors which are the prison guards which to this day i think they're just evil fuckers and they really are but like they're evil fucks um you get introduced to the mentors who can like steal your soul you have um, Sirius Black, who you start to learn about more throughout the film throughout, as the year progresses. Uh, and Ron and Hermione do their digging. They get the Marauder. Is this one of the Marauders map? Yeah. Yeah. They get the Marauders map. They start to do um, some research around Hogwarts itself. Find out about a man called Peter Pettigrew. And they try to find out more about him. That tips them off that something is there and them is going to be their arts professor and someone that you find out in subsequent scene is Sirius Black. And you find out Sirius Black isn't guilty whatsoever. My Siri just went off my phone because I said Sirius Black. <laughs> <laughs> you find out Sirius Black isn't evil. He's actually uh, one of... Is he his, just his close friend as his father or is he actually related? He's Well, he's Harry's godfather, but he's... Okay. Uh, he's Harry's... Uh, like best friend he was the ron to harry or Harry's yeah to dad. james yeah 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 he, he's harry's potter's best friend and so and, was lupin yeah they, they're, and they're so all, was pettigrew yeah and pettigrew you find out was ron's rat and he is the one who is responsible for giving up james and lee potter and he gives them up he's a disgusting person and i recognize his face instantly and sirius and lupin want to kill Pettigrew immediately. They don't let that happen. I'm still really angry that they didn't fucking kill Pettigrew in the third movie because they could have avoided so much shit if they did. Oh my god. Uh, you also find out that Lupin's a werewolf and that starts off an insane sequence. Uh, and is this the one where he lets off the Patronus for the first time? Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, well, no, not Harry. He he He's with Sirius and he is trying to fight the Dementors off doesn't mm. succeed, is about to pass out when he sees another Patronus making its way towards him. Yep. And then basically Sirius gets captured. They think he's going to die. They do a whole... Uh, this is big spoilers. Um, you find out Hermione can fucking time travel with the necklace that she has. Blew my mind because I was like, this is never in the franchise again. <laughs> and the really best part of, well, that's the thing that's the best part about it is she doesn't use it for anything really other than to go to school. Yeah, she's <laughs> so take, her. It's so she can so, take more classes. So to she take more classes. She uses it one time for like mischief and the rest is all like just to go to class. Yep. So she she tells Harry like, hey, we can go back in time an hour. Save Sirius from getting murdered. Uh, so they kind of go back in time. They start to rewrite history. They don't interact with themselves because obviously like butterfly effect. You don't like want to cause a bootstrap paradox uh and you find out uh that harry this is kind of my biggest takeaway is the one that is letting off the patronus charm because harry was under the influence that it was his father that gave off the patronus he was like that's my dad like that was the one that like did this it was like his ghost 
Uh, and it's really sad because Harry's waiting to see his dad or to see something happen for the Patronus to do it. And he musters up the power to let out his Patronus, which is a signal or a, uh, yeah, it really is like a signal of a very extraordinarily powerful wizard. Uh, and he lets off this Patronus, gets the Dementors away, gets Sirius Black uh, out of Hogwarts and saves him uh, so he can live to fight another day and really be his father figure. And it's really heartwarming uh, how much of a liking Harry takes to Sirius. I think that's pretty much the third one, yeah? Yeah, yeah that was a good uh, review. That is. That was very good. <laughs> Fourth one in our series is The Goblet of Fire. And this is really the first one that has a different entrance to the film compared to any of the previous three. And it starts off with Harry and uh, Ron's family, the Weasleys, and uh, Hermione uh, meeting up with a character you get to meet is Cedric Diggory, played by, uh, God, what is his name? I'm forgetting everything right now. Ron Pattinson. We saw a Ron lot Pattinson. of him this past couple of weeks. Five more films of him. Um, I'm a little dumb with him for the moment. Uh, <laughs> but we're introduced to Cedric Diggory, and they're going to a Quidditch tournament there. And while they are there... Uh, it basically is a terrorist attack that happens at this Quidditch game, and the Death Eaters uh, terrorize the camp. And um, the what's it called when it, that thing that happens in the air with the the snake? The Dark Mark. It's basically the a dark signal mark. of like Voldemort. It's like his banner in a sense. And it's like a legitimate terrorist attack. Like it, it, it yeah, it's a it, super dark moment. Mm-hmm. And like it really. Even though The Prisoner of Azkaban is a standalone film and it's it's pretty dark compared to uh, most of the films in the series, this film like keeps up with where that film ended, and it keeps it dark with just how that terrorist attack happens, and it's just like, oh god, is something going to happen again this year at Hogwarts? And uh, sure enough, it does. You know, they get to school and they find out that there's a thing called the Tri Wizard Tournament that's happening, where essentially there's the three magical schools compete across uh, these three challenges throughout the uh, school year. And you have to be the uh, seventh year there to participate in it and ends up being Cedric Diggory, um, who represents Hufflepuff for Hogwarts. And then you get to meet Victor Crumb, who was also one of the Quidditch players at the beginning of the film. And then yeah, uh, world-class Quidditch star. World-class, and he's 17 years old, just a great guy. And then uh, I forget her, her name, but it's in Fleur. Uh, Bobettons. Fleur uh, represents the Bobettons Academy of Magic. I viewed them both um, as just like the Russian wizards when I was a kid. Both of them. <laughs> well, I think she's from France, right? And yeah, he, she they're French, like and then they're the Russian, Soviet Union, or something. Yeah. And the thing um, that sucks about the Triwizard too is it's every four years. So if you're a student in Hogwarts, you'll only get to experience that once, and most likely not your seventh year. Yeah, it's oh. it's a it's a weird concept, but yeah, you like have to be born in the right year to to be uh, able to play in it. And the thing is, you're going up against like 200 other kids in your class to represent your school. Uh, but ends up happening when they pull out these uh, slips out of the fire. Uh, Harry's name comes out of nowhere. And Harry is now going to be the fourth champion in the Goblet and the Triwizard Tournament. Uh, so then going through the film as well, you get to meet the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, Mad-Eye <laughs> Moody, who... I would act to say is a very good dark arts teacher and also he, uh, probably has the second best second best. Uh, yeah. And he has a, a even bigger role throughout the films, which you'll hear more about. 
Uh, but throughout the film, they have the Triwizard Tournament, which is dangerous things. And I can't believe they would let any 17-year-old kid participate in because you they have more to than likely capture a dragon's will die. Yeah, you have to capture dragons. Um, you had to go underwater. I forget what the exact challenge is, but they're basically oh, save, save drownings. Yes. Uh, and what um, I guess going into this as well, now that I'm thinking about it, is this is like the movie where Ron sucks because he hates Harry like throughout the film because he thinks Harry needs to get to the tournament. And he's a big POS to him. And he's just, you know, an asshole to him throughout the film. And it really leaves a, like a sour taste in your mouth for the character of Ron throughout the majority yeah. of the film. Uh, but then going into it, there they have the final task uh, in the Triwizard Tournament, which is basically a maze, a hedge maze. It's and the shiny there, maze of fucking steroids. Mm-hmm. And through there, it like it turns out Victor, he seems like he's like a psychopath in this maze, which you later find out he was uh, possessed as well, but trying to like kill Harry and Cedric and Floor. And throughout the process, trying to get the uh, the goblet, Harry and Cedric find it together, and Harry saves Cedric's life to get it. So he, and when they Cedric lets him grab it first, it, yeah. Well, they both grab it, and it is a I forget what it is, but it it um a port it, key, a port yeah. key, and it moves. They use it in the place. beginning of the film as like a uh, a foreshadowing mm-hmm. to get to the and so, uh, wizard oh. cup. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. And. But with the port key, it leads them to a graveyard. And throughout the film, you're kind of understanding that Voldemort is back and he uh, is growing his army. And this is the scene where it shows you that it's true. So in the graveyard, Cedric is there with Harry and uh, Cedric ends up getting uh, injured there. And um, while Harry's tied up there, Voldemort comes back and um, basically was going to kill Harry there. and. Uh, I can't, I'm trying to just remember how the exact scene goes, but essentially Harry escapes, but it takes Cedric's dead body after Voldemort kills him there and gets back to the tournament where everyone's cheering. He's winning. He's winning. And the only thing Harry is yelling is he's back. He's back. He's crying. He doesn't know what's happening. With and Cedric's dead body. With Cedric's dead body. And so then it just becomes a very morbid scene. And Mad-Eye Moody ends up taking Harry to his office, kind of interrogating him. And it turns out that Mad-Eye Moody was not who he was for most of the movie. Um, he had Someone had been using uh, the Polyjuice Potion on him. Uh, um, Barry Crouch uh, Jr. was using it on him after he had returned to Azkaban. And Dumbledore ends up saving Harry's life. And that's kind of where the movie ends. One um, of Voldemort's cronies. Yeah. And you have yeah, one of Voldemort's cronies. And the movie basically ends with, uh, oh crap, we're kind of screwed now. The whole dark arts world is back. Did you guys catch like the key moments with Mad Eye where his tongue would start slipping into like the lizard moments? No. What? There yeah, were multiple I, I did, moments yeah. where Mad Eye, his tongue would start making these lizard moments. And then there's a scene where Harry is in Dumbledore's office and he gets, you know, he puts his head in that bowl and he gets taken into a memory. And we learn that there was this whole trial surrounding the headmaster of the, the Russian school where he was trying to get out of time. So he was naming names. Um, one of the names he names was the minister of magic at that time, his son. Uh, and when that happens, when he gets named and he goes all crazy and they arrest him, he goes up to his dad and he like says some things and we see his tongue stick out a bunch of times. 
So I was just wondering if you had caught that. That's interesting. That Minister Magic Sun obviously is the guy who was impersonating Mad Eye Moody. Right. Yeah. yeah. I did not catch that. It happens very sly, but it's it's like when that's you catch it, you're like, oh. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, let's go on to the next one, yeah? All right. So the next film is The Order of the Phoenix. It's their fifth year at Hogwarts. Harry has just come out of a very uh, traumatic situation. Like, basically, this evil presence that has been following him his whole life is now back, and he's human, and he can kill him, and he just lost his friend. He was murdered. It's, like, keeping him up at night. He's, like, full-on depressed. He's, like, sitting at park benches by himself. His cousin is evil, more evil than ever. And one night, Harry is just like sitting out at the park by himself. His cousin comes over to bully him. And then on their way home, they get caught up in like an abandoned train station or like an abandoned like subway station. And these Dementors pop up. Dementors that we know are the guards of Azkaban. Um, Evil fuckers. Evil fuckers, yeah. They pop (laughs) up out of nowhere. And Harry, knowing how to do the Patronus, gets rid of them. Um, but that not strikes crazy. a chain of events because he's not 17 years old. He's not supposed to be using magic. And now he knows he's going to be in some trouble. And sure enough, he is. He gets a letter from the ministry and they tell him he's expelled from Hogwarts. And that's kind of how the movie starts out. And it's very sad because it's like, wow, Harry's just at the lowest point right now. Um, and then basically in the middle of the night, he gets rescued by the real Mad-Eye movie who we have up until this point actually really met. Uh, he ends up just kind of being the same person, but we didn't really know him before. Uh, and then a, a bunch of other people who we learn later are part of the order, the order of magic that, you know, is to protect the wizarding world. Harry is taken to a safe house, which later turns to be Sirius Black's house. And he's reunited with all of his peeps. And he gets relieved of his punishment. He's not going to be expelled. He goes to the Ministry of Magic. He has a whole trial. He's proven that you know he used the Patronus in defense, and he's able to go back to school. Goes back to school. Uh, it's pretty much like a normal year for the most part. They have this minister uh, that works for the Ministry who's going to be the new defense against the Dark Arts teacher, and she's probably one of the worst uh, in the entire series. She's a big, fat, pompous bitch who wears pink all the time and just has a shitty ass attitude. Um, And she basically is brought to Hogwarts to be a eye. The ministry is keeping an eye on Hogwarts. They're keeping an eye on Dumbledore. They're keeping an eye on Harry and they're keeping an eye on the way that magic is being uh, taught. And she basically teaches magic by not teaching it at all, making them read books instead of actually use spells and, it kind of becomes a major conflict for them because they can't they can't learn spells. Harry knows Voldemort's real, and most of his friends that believe him know it as well. And they're frustrated that they can't uh, practice and learn shit. So, much. so they basically come up with the idea to form their own club that they call Dumbledore's Army. And they form this club because they want to practice magic. They want to defend themselves. They want to learn how to, through a, a series of events, they end up finding the Room of Requirement which uh, transforms itself to become its, their training uh, you know, yard, if you will. But then around halfway through the film, this defense against the dark arts teacher that has already been causing massive issues at the school finds out about this club, 
dismans it and uh, they're forced to to break up. They are in the middle of doing their, I guess you would compare it to like Ames testing, uh, mm. when Ron's brothers kind of come in and blow the whole thing up uh, because great. they kind of make the executive decision to just drop out their seventh years. It's their last semester. And they're like, you know what? We're just going to drop out. This isn't for us anyway, <laughs> which is so just <laughs> awesome. I love and it. That's insane. They so this whole riot. All their tests are blown away. You know, everyone's kind of cheering because this dark arts professor is like made to look like an idiot. She's blown up. And um, Harry's like cheering with all his friends when he has a vision. He has a vision that Sirius Black is being tortured by Voldemort. He's being held captive at the Ministry of Magic. And it's like a really intense vision. Uh, kind of some, you know, background. Harry has been having visions throughout this entire film. Which were uh, real. Which all turn out to be true. So this vision obviously frightens the fuck out of Harry. He gets scared. He doesn't want to lose Sirius Black. He's the only family he has. He's the only person that he can fully, truly trust and knows he knows how he feels. And he, he doesn't want to lose him. So he gets him and all of his friends to journey to the Ministry of Magic to save Sirius Black. When they get there, they realize the vision was not real. Voldemort was tapping into Harry's mind uh, to kind of make him think that that was real. Through this movie, we, we find out that Voldemort has a connection to Harry's mind. We find out that they share a core and that they share a mindset and that they can read each other's minds. Severus Snape actually teaches Harry a number of lessons to try and uh, block this out. and uh, Really important lessons. Really important lessons to try and block out you know, Voldemort's passage. And uh, when they get to the ministry and they find out that Sirius Black wasn't in danger, they're confronted by Malfoy's father and a bunch of Death Eaters, one of them being Bellatrix Lestrange, who's one of the worst. And they get into this whole big battle. And they are later joined. When, when all kind of hope feels lost and it feels like they're about to lose, Sirius Black and all of his buddies kind of swoop in. He gets a good punch in there and they start another battle. And in that battle, Bellatrix Lestrange murders Sirius Black, and uh, it's a really devastating scene. Harry goes off on a spree chasing her and starts using spells he knows he shouldn't be using. And you can hear Voldemort kind of speaking in Harry's mind, do it, kill her. She killed him. You want it. And Harry's kind of standing there, like kind of contemplating it. And then all of a sudden, Voldemort shows up. And then seconds later, Dumbledore shows up and this whole awesome kind of one-on-one battle takes place between Voldemort and Dumbledore. They go at it and right as Dumbledore kind of kicks Voldemort's ass, Voldemort decides to just screw the battle and attack Harry's mind. Um, He starts really kind of raping his mind and, you know, putting a lot of negative images in there. Harry luckily was going through training. He sees his friends walk in. He's, I'm getting chills thinking about it. He's kind of reminded by all of the things they've gone through and the love they share. And he, he's able to overpower all of the negative images that projecting into his mind by covering up with the, the good ones and his, his memories of his parents and his friends and all you get like a, a really beautifully done montage of like the last four movies uh, and you get to see them kind of grow, and it's a really well done scene. Harry ends up successful at the end, and right as Voldemort's kind of standing over Harry's body, saying, "You're a fool. You're gonna lose." 
the ministry and everyone shows up. Voldemort goes away and the ministry says, he's back! Like, no shit. And uh, <laughs> that sequence ends. And then the movie kind of ends with Harry. He's kind of like, you know, he's, he's had a rough go. He just lost Sirius Black. That was the most important person to him. The movie, the movie prior to this, he lost Cedric Diggory, who was a friend he was developing, who in the movie, they don't really do a good job uh, showing that. But in the book, he really like develops a good friendship with Cedric. And uh, so he's had a rough go and he kind of ends the movie like bummed out, but also confident and in, in his, in himself and in his friends and the fact that he feels like they're strong and that they're getting better and that they're learning and they feel like they have an edge on Voldemort because they have something worth fighting for where he is just an evil person. They actually have a cause and the movie kind of ends on a positive note, despite all the bad shit that happens. That was a really long review. It was. I totally thought while watching this film, the Ministry of Magic was just working for Voldemort the entire time. Because there's no way someone could be this anyone could be this fucking stupid. Yeah, but it's fear, bro. Fear makes people act like idiots. Yeah, and I saw an amazing tweet the other day saying the uh, the Trump administration the Trump administration's response to the coronavirus is the Ministry of Magic's response to uh the Voldemort coming back, and I think that's the best nail on the head. And I love Florida <laughs> the Phoenix because they really touch on the politics of the Wizarding World, and it's interesting because it's not so different from ours. Yeah, it was really it was my least favorite as a kid. It was my least favorite as a kid, and one of my most favorite. That's for sure. I I love to hear that. Well, on to the next film, Half Blood Prince. Uh, this is the sixth film at this point. Harry is sixteen years old. Uh, it is his sixth year. Uh, is Snape finally a defense against the Dark Arts professor in this one, right? Finally, because a new uh, potions master gets brought in. Yeah, so in this one, Snape gets promoted to defense against the Dark Arts professor. Six years, six professors. And the film follows Harry and the gang uh, with this new potions professor. And throughout the film, Dumbledore is kind of distancing himself from Harry. But he requests from Harry to become close with this professor. And you start to learn throughout the film why he wants close. This professor, as you come to know, be is the uh, one of the most. He had one of the most important conversations in the entire franchise with a young Lord of Voldemort, Tom Riddle, when he was a student at Hogwarts, just like how Harry was. Uh, and the conversation, you can see it through a memory, but the memory's been altered. So Harry's job is to be close to this professor and really find out what happened in that conversation. Throughout this potions class, Harry finds a notebook belonging to the Half-Blood Prince, who I always thought was Lord Voldemort. I'll get into it. Uh, and the Half-Blood Prince is one of the best chemists in the series. He has his own recipes for uh, alchemical potions that make the perfect kind of recipe. It's part of how Harry becomes so close. And Harry gets a, a real attachment with this he doesn't want to let it go. And that's why I was thinking, like, why does he not want to let the book go? Uh, and uh, this one is a little slow in that that's most of the story up until he kind of finds out um, what happened throughout the story. There's also a uh, storyline going on with Malfoy, uh, where Malfoy is tasked by uh, Lord Voldemort himself to kill Dumbledore. So he tries multiple ways throughout the story to kill Lord Voldemort, injuring other people in the process, trying to poison him. Uh, 
and the film continues to the point where Harry finds he he takes a luck potion he went at the beginning of the film, and he finds out uh, what happened to that conversation. And he basically on fucking crack cocaine. He's really cracked out during the scene. He finds out it's such a funny scene. Oh, it's so great. What's the professor's name? The potion Slughorn. Slughorn. He finds it from Professor Slughorn that he was confronted by um, by Voldemort, Tom Riddle, about a certain kind of magic, a dark magic, a forbidden magic. And that magic is a horcrux. A horcrux is a dark magic that lets you split your soul into multiple pieces. So when you die, you don't really die, and you can come back. And usually, if it's ever done, I think it's only been done once history before uh, Voldemort, you kill a person and you create the Horcrux when you kill that person. And he wants to know about creating seven Horcruxes and breaking his soul up into seven pieces. And you find out that each time you break up a Horcrux, a little piece of your soul breaks up as well. I've always kind of seen this is why Voldemort's so fucking disfigured because his soul is broken up into seven different pieces. Uh, and he created six intentional horcruxes, and you find that out uh, throughout the film. His his uh, soul is broken up into these seven pieces, and uh, Harry is now tasked by Dumbledore to find him. You find out that he, Tom Riddle's diary back in the Chamber of Secrets is a horcrux. Uh, there was a ring that belonged to Voldemort's mother, and that was the, the second horcrux. Both have been destroyed. Destroying the second one. Uh, corrupted Dumbledore's hand and it was going to kill him um, but he stopped it and you don't find out how until a bit later he stopped the corruption uh, and he is now going to go with Dumbledore to go find the third Horcrux so they know the location they go to a cave uh, near the end of the school year uh, right after this conversation happens they go to a cave and this cave is I don't know the significance uh, but it's a very dark cave. It's the only significance they really touch on in the movie is when you get a flashback because Harry, you know, when Dumbledore's kind of talking to Harry about this, you get a flashback of when Dumbledore first met Tom Riddle at an mm-hmm. orphanage. And it's like a postcard you see on his desk. And the postcard is a picture of oh, the, yeah. the like thing that they're standing on looking at the cave um, in the water. And the postcard says, like, love you, Tom, mom, or something like that. That's all you really know in the movie. Okay. Well, they go to this cave, and they, they have to go through black water, so they raise a ship from the, the water, a little rowboat, uh, and they go through this cave, through the water, to this little island in the middle. In the island, there's a, a massive, like, marble bowl, and it's filled with dark water and they know that inside that water is another horcrux um and i was about to say gandalf <laughs> he's basically the gandalf gandalf dumbledore instructs harry to make sure no matter what he says to dr- to keep him drinking this water he has to continue drinking uh and he's not going to let harry drink it because harry matters she's younger and he's more integral than dumbledore so you get a brutal sequence of Harry having to force feed Dumbledore this water, which is killing him. Every single sip is killing him. He's screaming in pain and agony, begging to stop drinking. And he has to drink this entire huge, 
bowl of water, and he has to drink small scoop by small scoop. He eventually finishes it. By the time it's finished, he's starting to feel a bit better. They get the final Horcrux, which is a locket. And at that point, they're trying to get uh, Dumbledore real water. Well, Harry goes to the fucking black water, the, uh, the cave all around him, tries scooping it up with the same shell they used to scoop the water out of uh, the bowl, and he gets grabbed by an arm, and he gets dragged underwater. He gets dragged underwater by these skeleton people, and there is thousands, hundreds of them underwater, just dragging him down and down, and he's trying Terrifying. to escape. It's so scary. They're dragging him down. He's trying to escape. He can't do anything. He's trying to get out, and it looks like he's going to drown. He's going to die, and you see flame above the water, uh, and the flame is going all around the room. Does he just surface? Does it Dumbledore kill him, or I can't remember exactly how he gets back. Dumbledore, like, yeah, like, gets the one that's on his back, and then Harry resurfaces. And you see Dumbledore conjuring up a massive fire tornado. One of the most awesome, like, cinematic scenes in the franchise. Yeah, the entire cave filled with fucking fire, killing everything, trying to keep it back, just so he can save Harry. Uh, Uses up all of his fucking energy, all of his power to do it. And One of those is. moments where you really see like how powerful Dumbledore Dumb- is. Yeah, he, he he like doesn't hold back his power level. He goes fucking full Super Saiyan, and it's great. Uh, and they escape the cave, uh, and they go back to a tower in Hogwarts. And this is where you get the finale of this film. Uh, in this tower, he gets confronted by Malfoy, who is now here to kill him. And Dumbledore, before he because he, he hears him coming, instructs Harry, "Go down below. You don't gotta be here. Like, don't make a noise." Just don't don't make a move a muscle. Like you gotta be quiet. Uh and you have a confrontation between Malfoy. You can tell Malfoy he's a he's been a dick the entire franchise. Uh that he obviously needs to kill Dumbledore, but he doesn't necessarily want to kill Dumbledore. And he's like trying to you can see and the, the actor does a really good job. You can see the struggle that the character is having, even though there's no spoken struggle, you know. You can see the internal struggle. He's scared more than anything. Yeah, and you can see that struggle that he doesn't want to kill Dumbledore necessarily, but he has to because his life is on the line. Uh, And then the other Death Eaters come. You get Bellatrix Lestrange, who fucking killed Sirius Black. You get... uh, Is Malfoy's father in that scene? No. I was say, I don't think Lucius is. Uh, And Voldemort himself comes. No. Yes? No. 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 Who is the one that comes in and... uh, like, talk shit to Malfoy. Because Malfoy's in there alone, and then someone starts talking to him. Who's that person that starts talking to him? There's, like, a bunch of Death Eaters that come in. Okay. Uh, well, stuff happens. I can't remember the specifics. Uh, and he won't kill him, and then Snape comes in the room, and he's like, I'll do it. And he's doing this, essentially, too many spoilers, uh, but to really prove himself to Lord Voldemort, to make sure that Lord Voldemort doesn't question their his loyalty and Severus Snape, the one you dislike throughout the entire franchise, the one that you probably a bad guy, kills fucking Dumbledore. Uh and it's a really sad scene seeing Dumbledore die. And right before Severus goes up there, he looks at Harry and tells him to be quiet because he knows Harry's gonna be shocked and he's still gotta be quiet. And Harry ends up fucking hating him. That's pretty much the end of the film, I feel like. Did I miss anything? 
I mean, there's like a beautiful funeral for Dumbledore and yeah. um, other stuff, but you pretty much hit the nail. And it sets up the, the final two films in that now Harry Potter has to search for the Horcruxes. He's found two, or he's destroyed two. He has one in his possession. He's got to find three more on top of it. Well, at the end of this film, they're standing on the astronomy tower, and Harry reveals to Ron and Hermione that it's a fake. They open the locket, oh, and there's a note film? in there. Yeah, there's a oh, note in there, and it says, whoever reads this, I, I'm probably already dead, but I have taken the real Horcrux, and I intend to destroy it with like initials that say R-A-B. And so Harry tells Ron and Hermione, I'm not coming back to school next year. I need to find these Horcruxes. And Ron and Hermione are like, we're going to find these Horcruxes. And then that's pretty much how it ends. Yep. You want to get into the part one? All right. We are almost there. So <laughs> we got to speed it up. It's Deathly so Hollows part two. This is by far one of my favorites. I think it's a really good setup into the finale. Um, but basically this film starts out. Uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are all on the run. You see Hermione completely obliterate her parents' memory of her so that she can go on this journey, which is very heartbreaking to think about. Uh, you see Harry do the same thing to his aunt and uncle, uh, which he should have done a long time ago. Um, and the movie basically starts out with them, you know, in hiding. They're at Ron's house. Uh, there's a wedding taking place. One of Ron's older brothers is marrying, ironically, the French girl from the Triwizard Tournament. Um, at the wedding, they get attacked by a bunch of Death Eaters. Harry is forced to go on the run with Ron and Hermione, and the movie starts off. And they're kind of on the run, looking for these Horcruxes, trying to get a hold of one of them, trying to find the real one. They go to Sirius Black's house to hide out, and in kind of walking around the house, they find a door on a bedroom that has the initials R.A.B. And they realize that the Sirius Black's brother is the person who found the real Horcrux. And he is the person that uh, put the fake locket in its place. And so they basically interrogate the house elf to find the person who stole the locket from their house. And you later find out that the locket is in the possession of none other than the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher from the Order of the Phoenix, the big fat bitch, Professor Unbridge. <laughs> um, she is in possession of the locket. And so Harry, Ron, and Hermione need to travel to the ministry. They use Polyjuice Potion to pose as ministry officials, and they make their way into the ministry to get the locket. They do so successfully but barely they barely make it out of the ministry alive and ron actually gets severely injured on their way out uh his arm is completely torn up and he basically becomes uh not bed rest but pretty pretty weak and immobile from that point on he can't and teleport again he can't teleport again which is their main for kind of forced to travel on foot uh which is much slower for them and they're kind of forced to camp out, you know, in more kind of isolate places. Um, yeah. And Ron becomes a fucking dick. They also have to, the, because they make it out of the ministry successfully, they have the real Horcrux at this point. And the Horcrux kind of acts as like the ring. Yeah. Um, whoever's wearing it becomes very affected by it. 
And because Ron's the one who's injured, he kind of becomes the one that wears it the most. And he becomes very angry, irritable, um, jealous. He starts to kind of see moments between Harry and Hermione happen that aren't really happening. But he kind of makes it up in his head that it's happening. And he starts to become very jealous of their dynamic. And one night, it completely blows up. Harry and Ron get in this very heated argument. Ron says some pretty unforgivable things to Harry. Um, yeah, really fucked up. Really shit. fucked up things uh, to Harry. And he runs off on his own. And so you're left with just Harry and Hermione. It's a really sad scene where Hermione's kind of sitting there in the tent, sulking his loss because he's gone. She doesn't know if he's going to make it out alive. She doesn't know if he's going to be, you know, captured or anything. And it's a really sweet moment where Harry starts to try and make Hermione feel better. He turns the radio up and they kind of start dancing in the tent. And the reason why I like that scene so much is because I kind of, when I watch that scene in my head, I'm given all these flashbacks of like, when they first met and them as kids and like the whole series wrapped up in this one scene where he's just like, they're not romantic in any way. You know, Harry and Hermione have always been friends. And like in this moment, it's like a beautiful moment between two best friends where they just share a moment. You know what I mean? And I really enjoyed the scene. Um, They keep going on the run. They kind of do their research and their digging and they see this symbol popping up a bunch and, they, they realize that they don't really know how to kill the Horcruxes and they think that maybe the, the Sword of Gryffindor will be able to kill Horcruxes because Harry was able to kill the diary back in the Chamber of Secrets. So they figure that maybe the Sword of Gryffindor is what caused that. And so they kind of keep going, doing their research, and they end up in Godric's Hollow, which is the birthplace of the Sword of Gryffindor, but it's also where Harry's parents lived and where they were killed and where Harry was born. And it's the birthplace of so much of what happened. And yeah, they, really go to, they go to this town. Harry finds a cemetery. He is actually for the first time in his entire life uh, united with his parents' graves. It's a very it's really sad, sad moment. It's a very beautiful, beautifully done, but sad moment. Um, and then kind of after this moment, they're approached by this woman who Harry thinks he recognizes through the research that they've done and they follow her to her home. And this, <laughs> it's like this really beautiful moment turns into a really scary moment where this woman kind of starts speaking snake language to Harry. And you're kind of like, what is going on? And then she later transform into no- none other than Voldemort's snake. Uh, Nagini. Nagini, which is a very kind of intense, scary scene. Uh, they barely make it out of there alive, but they do once again. And slowly but surely, they're making their way to their next campsite when Ron or when Harry is kind of sitting outside of the tent, keeping watch, and he sees a Patronus pop up. It pops up in the middle of the forest. It's a stag, which Harry knows is the Patronus his mother had. Um, we don't really get explained this in the movies, but that's what I know. Um, and so Harry is very intrigued by this, obviously. Other than his mother, who had the Patronus of a stag. The Patronus basically takes shape of any animal that represents the person who's doing it. Harry's is a deer. Um, Just like his father, right? Oh, no. Harry's is a stag. I'm sorry. His yeah. mother's is a fawn. 
yeah that's what pops up as a fawn but like hermione's is a, a beaver and ron's is a dog and luna's is a bunny you know everyone has their own Patronus, basically um i think mine was a siberian cat um i have to look up what mine is so harry sees this fawn he follows it's a doe actually yeah it's a doe I'm finally figuring out the right terminology. So I'm a he wild follows, rabbit. he files, follows this doe, and it leads him to this frozen lake where he sees at the very bottom is none other than the sword of Gryffindor, the very item they've been looking for this entire time. Harry makes the decision to go into this very freezing lake. Um, I don't know why he doesn't take the locket off. He keeps it on him. And when he starts making his way towards the bottom of the lake to grab the sword, the locket starts uh reacting badly obviously because the sword of gryffindor is obviously um you know it's uh what's the right word the sword of gryffindor is what kills it so the locket starts acting reacting badly and harry pretty much is drowning under the water yeah when a figure pulls him out yeah yeah figure pulls him out and once harry kind of coughs a bunch and puts his glasses back on we see the figure is ron and Harry's like super relieved and excited and also mad and confused. And Ron explains to Harry, you know, that he regrets everything. And, um, you know, he basically had to make his way back to them. He knew it was the right thing. And he, he regretted the second he left. Um, and so Harry is like, all right, well, let's, let's destroy this thing. We have the sword, we have the locket, let's get it done. And, um, Ron says that he'll destroy it. It's kind of his moment to prove himself to Harry. Like, I'm in this with you. I'm here with you. And let me let me be the one. And so Harry's like, all right, like, I'm going to open it for you. And you need to do it. And right as Harry opens up the Horcrux, it's a locket. So he opens it up. This whole, like, you know, chaos ensues. All of Ron's biggest fears start finding their way in front of him, whether it's spiders or you know just a bunch of other things he sees this uh sequence of harry and hermione half naked making out (laughs) it's really shocking as a viewer you're like holy shit (laughs) um and uh but basically you know through all of that ron finds the strength he destroys the horcrux and they make their way back to hermione show her what they've done hermione's obviously very upset at ron uh she'll get over it they make the decision to go visit luna's father because at that wedding in the beginning of the movie harry when he was speaking to luna and her father he saw him wearing a necklace which they later throughout the movie have found to be this symbol that keeps popping up to them so they go visit him he teaches them that the symbol represents the deathly hollows he tells them the story of the three brothers uh basically about these three brothers that wanted to cheat death and they had the Elder Wand, the Invisibility Cloak, and the Resurrection Stone. The three of them together made the Deathly Hollows. The three of them together made a Master of Death. Um, they find this out, and we don't really understand why that's relevant. We just understand what the story means. And then later, they start getting ambushed and attacked. We find out that Luna's dad has sold them out to Voldemort because Luna has been captured by Voldemort. And so this dad is kind of at his lowest and he doesn't really know what else to do. And so he kind of just sells out Harry and his friends. Um, They end up getting captured, taken to the Malfoys and 
the Malfoys have to decide whether or not Harry Harry because Hermione kind of jacks his face up to protect mm. him and um they're taken to the to the to the dungeons where they're reunited with a bunch of people they're reunited with Luna who has been obviously yep. tortured they're yeah. reunited with Griphook who is one of the goblins at Gringotts they're reunited with Ollivander who is the wand maker and Harry and Ron are kind of forced to sit down there and listen to Hermione get tortured up above when Dobby comes and saves them. I don't know if Chase actually introduced Dobby in, when he was talking about Chamber of Secrets, but he was the house elf that was very instrumental in that film. And he comes and he saves Harry and his friends. And they have this whole on battle between Malfoy and his family, but they manage to get out barely alive because as they're teleporting, Bellatrix Lestrange, none other than throws a knife inside the like teleporting bubble and fucking when they arrive at their next destination harry's kind of relieved to see that hermione and ron are safe and he's happy and he turns around and he sees dobby stabbed in the chest with the knife it is by far one of the saddest things anyone will ever see um it's a very heartbreaking scene surprisingly sad what do you mean surprisingly i thought like he's like because he's only in the movie two films so when i was watching this i was like i knew dobby's death was sad for me. but i wasn't expecting it was like all right like it's a character that's not even that important you know so i was like i'm not expecting to be really moved by it, but it's really sad i think the most moving part is he's so small and so pure and innocent yeah. and just good and that's what makes it so heartbreaking is because like he was just such a good person. And the the final thing that he says to Harry is such a beautiful place to be with friends. Dobby is happy to be with his friend, Harry Potter. And it's like such a sad, cause like all Dobby cared about was Harry. Like that's yeah. all he cared about. That's all he wanted to do is he's kind of like the Sam in Harry's life. Yeah. Um, and it's a very sad scene. And then the movie basically ends with them having a funeral for Dobby and we're cut to an Island. And we learn that that island is Dumbledore's grave. And we see Voldemort breaking into Dumbledore's grave. Grabbing Dumbledore's wand. Who we realize that wand is the Elder Wand. The wand in the Deathly Hollows. The wand from the story. The most powerful wand in in existence. And the movie ends with Voldemort shooting up a bunch of sparks in the air. Kind of showing like shit's about to go down. And then it cuts black. And he's full power. We'll go on into the final Death The final Harry Potter film, Deathly Hall 2. It is a very actual film. It picks up literally at that same scene. Uh, Voldemort is getting the wand. And it cuts to Harry, Hermione, and Ron. And it's about them trying to find about out a little bit more about Dumbledore. Trying to find out a little bit more about Horcruxes. They find all the last Horcruxes. One of the the, the final Horcruxes in Hogwarts, the most important. Uh, and it ends up they they go through secret entrances. They go into Hogwarts. I'm really noting this film. I was gonna uh, say, wait, you're skipping. Like they find another Horcrux in Gringotts. Oh yeah, yeah. So they before Hogwarts, they go to Gringotts, which is the bank. They get a Horcrux from Bellatrix Lestrange's vault. Uh, they, it's a really fucked up Horcrux that everything in that room multiplies to defend it. They end up getting that Horcrux, fly on a dragon to get out of there. Really cool scene. Um, they start to find out more about uh, Dumbledore's brother and his family. He had a sister, too. Uh, they find a secret entrance to Hogwarts, and they go to Hogwarts to find uh, Elena. What's her name? 
Ravenclaw. Helena Ravenclaw. Helena Ravenclaw's, um, like it's her to crown tiara. Uh, and they, they're trying to find the final Horcrux, and they know it's somewhere in Hogwarts. They don't know what it looks like. They don't know where to find it, and no one alive has seen it. Uh, they are in Hogwarts. They meet all of Dumbledore's army, you know, from the, the filth of them. It's a really nice reunion. Uh, but time is at the essence, because Voldemort can feel every single Horcrux being destroyed, and he's becoming more and more dangerous because he, he's like a wounded fighting for his life. Um, so Voldemort goes with his Death Eaters, hundreds, hundreds of Death Eaters to Hogwarts to confront uh, Harry. While Harry's at Hogwarts, he kind of leads a revolution. He uh, reveals himself when the school's on lockdown by Severus Snape, uh, confronts Snape in the, their Grand Hall. Uh, Snape uh, ends up getting attacked by... Or, uh, McGonagall steps in to defend Harry, and she's attacking Snape. Snape defensively reacts accidentally, quote-unquote, kills two of the Death Eaters that were in charge of discipline at the school, and he runs away, and all the students are... And McGonagall... I love that you caught that he, like, accidentally kills them. Oh, yeah. Uh, and... What's it called? McGonagall is now offering all of her aid to Harry. Harry's like, I just need time to find this Horcrux. And she's like, I'll give you time. There's this badass fucking scene where they start putting up the defenses. They, all the wizards from the Order, uh, start putting up a massive shield around the city that's, or not the city, <laughs> around the school that can deflect any and everything. So if you walk through the shield, you get burned to crisps. You can't shoot spells through it. It's a super massive shield uh, to defend the school. And they summon thousands of stone protectors, which are like usually these stone knights that like design around the school, but they're really not. And they hundreds of them come up and they come to life to defend the school. And Hogwarts is coming to life to defend it uh, while Harry's trying to find this fight. Voldemort and his army arrive. They start sieging the... uh, the school, they're trying to break down the shield. Death Eaters are trying to go around the flame, going through like the secret entrances over like a bridge and stuff like that. Uh, and everyone's kind of getting ready. Uh, he finds out that no person alive is living, so obviously the answer is that it's a dead person. Luna Lovegood uh, tells Harry uh, kind of where to find this person. It's Helena Ravenclaw's daughter. Uh, promises to destroy it because Voldemort did the same thing years ago, but defiled it. She lets him know where it is. It's in the room of, uh, what's the room of what? Requirement. Requirement. I call it the room of a noun for some reason. It's in the room. (laughs) It's in the room. Uh, they go there. Malfoy follows them. Harry confronts Malfoy on why he didn't kill him before, um, or reveal him before. Cause in, Part one, Malfoy very obviously could end Harry's life by revealing him in front of all the Death Eaters, and he doesn't. Uh, and Malfoy doesn't really answer. A fight ensues in the Room of Requirement, uh, and the room gets set on fire by uh, one of Malfoy's friends not being able to control a spell. And it sets the entire room ablaze. Uh, in this blaze, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are able to escape, and they end up saving Malfoy and one of his friends, the other one died, uh, and destroying the tiara with it. And that goes one of the final Horcruxes, but there's still one more left, which is Nagini. Um, 
after this Horcrux gets destroyed, Voldemort goes Super Saiyan, destroys the dome, sends all of his Death Eaters in. The Elder One cracks a little bit, but it doesn't break. It's just a small little splinter um, showing you that it was just either way too much power or it doesn't match with him or something, but you know something's not right. Uh, the school gets besieged. There's a lot of fight. Really epic. It's the biggest and best fight scene in the series. Uh, a lot of people die. And um, Harry is just kind of like trying to survive throughout all of this and find a way so they can kill the The fighting kind of coming to an end. A lot of people have died. And Voldemort, speaking through everyone's heads, doesn't want to end any lives anymore. So he gives Harry an option to meet him in the Forbidden Forest. Or uh, he can... Uh, or no, before that, just kidding. Uh, Harry goes down to the docks and he... Uh, did he follow Snape or did he meet up with him? Or did he uh, find him there? He finds him there because he doesn't expect him to be there. Okay. Why'd he go to the docks? Well, he goes to the dock because he can see and he goes into Voldemort's mind and sees that's where he is, but I don't think he was expecting Snape to be there. Because in the vision that he sees in Voldemort's mind, he's talking to Lucius. Oh, okay. So yeah, he goes to the docks, um, which is like the en- one of the entry points for Hogwarts, and he eavesdrops on a conversation between Snape and um, Voldemort. And Voldemort is under the impression that the reason why the Elder Wand isn't responding to him, because that's his his taking on the the reactions of the wand and it not feeling correctly. The reason why the wand's not taking to Voldemort is because Voldemort didn't kill its previous Dumbledore. Snape did. So Voldemort kills Snape in cold blood. He's out bleeding on the floor. Voldemort leaves, and Harry, being the good person that he is, runs in the room attending to Snape. Snape has him grab a tear, one of his, the only time he cries in the series, has him grab a tear in a little vial, and he goes to uh, Dumbledore's office and puts it in the fountain so he can view his memory. In that scene, we see a flashback of Snape's entire life from when he was a kid, being in love with Lily Potter, Harry Potter's mom, and you start to discover why Snape was the way he was throughout the entire found out he loved his mom. Uh, he loved Harry's mom so much his Patronus changed. Uh, and he hated James and he never really got the girl. Uh, but he was still caring for her and he always he still loved her. Uh, and he loved her so much that he was the one that was first there after Voldemort killed Lily uh, it, back in that day in 1980-something. Uh, and you kind of see that whole sequence played out. It's like a five-minute sequence. It's really, it's heartbreaking. And it, it reveals a lot about Snape's character. And you realize everything he did, he was a double agent, was to protect Harry because he loved Lily so much. Not because necessarily he loves Harry, but because she's the offspring of someone that, his, his love, the love of his life. Um, and Harry starts to understand who Snape was, the sacrifices he had to make in order to maintain his secrecy and to help bring down Voldemort. And during that sequence, you find out that Harry is the final Horcrux. He was an unknowingly made Horcrux. Uh, the reason why he lived uh, was obviously Lily's love, but because a piece of Voldemort's soul went into Harry that day, and he unknowingly made a Horcrux, and that's why they're so intrinsically. And the reason why 
Dumbledore has kept Harry along to this point is because he needs to have Voldemort kill Harry when Voldemort is at his weakest. After you find out this revelation, you find out Voldemort is now, again, calling Harry to the Forbidden Forest to meet him head-on. And he has like an hour or else everyone's going to die. And some people want him to go, some people don't. People who want him to go don't say it, obviously. Uh, and his friends are like, what the fuck are you doing? Because he's like, I'm going to go out there. And everyone's like, this whole night's going to be for nothing. Like, why are you going to go waste your life? And he's like, I have to go meet him. So Harry goes out there walking out to his death. And he knows he's going to die. It's a really sad scene because he gets to talk with his parents and Sirius. And his well, so basically, members. he ends up, through circumstances, coming across the final Deathly Hollows, the Resurrection Stone. Well, he had it from, uh, what's his face? He had it from uh, Dumbledore in the yeah. snitch. Yeah, yeah, so in Deathly Hollows Part 1, he got a snitch in Voldemort, or not in Voldemort, in uh, Dumbledore's will, and inside the golden snitch, his first ever snitch that he caught at Hogwarts, was the Resurrection Stone. But he drops it in the forest, which shocked me, uh, and I still don't necessarily understand. Because I was like, oh, he's going to survive, and then I see him, so like, oh, he's going to die. Uh, then he goes to face Voldemort, and he's talking to his family and these past loved ones about what death feels like, and they're just support. It's a really, it's a heartwarming scene. It's really sad. It's a beautifully done scene. Yeah, and then you read it in the book, and then you watch it. It's like, oh, they nailed it. Yeah, and then he goes to face face Voldemort and faces death, and Voldemort uh, kills him. He he uses the killing curse, kills Harry Potter. And Harry Potter goes to this, really this waiting room, this sort of heaven, this, it's King's Station, King's Cross, and whatever the name of the train station is. And he meets Dumbledore there. And he's talking to Dumbledore, and he has a really great conversation with him about kind of what's happened, what needs to happen, and what's going on. And Dumbledore lets him know that his time isn't up. He needs to go back down and finish the job. Uh, and he gets resurrected through the Resurrection Stone, comes back to life. And pretends to still be dead in the forest. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't necessarily get resurrected through the Resurrection Stone. He just never died. When Voldemort killed him, he killed himself. Oh, is that he how it killed, happens? He killed the Horcrux. Oh, so okay. Harry never really got killed. Oh, that's interesting. That was basically what the prophecy was being said. Um, like in the Order of the Phoenix, that prophecy that was basically saying that, like. Voldemort had to kill himself to be killed. And mm. that's why with their connection in the Goblet of Fire with their wands is so significant because it basically that's when Dumbledore figured that out. Like when Harry told him that at the end of the movie, that's when Dumbledore realized, oh, he's a Horcrux. Yeah. Um, and Harry's laying there in the ground, dead, quote unquote. And Malfoy's mother is the one that's checking on him. And she asks, is Malfoy okay? Is Malfoy still alive? And Harry doesn't say anything, but he lets out a single nod. And it's a very slight nod. And after that, she lets Voldemort know that Harry's dead. Because Harry kept her son alive. Um, And Hagrid doesn't know this. And he's forced to carry Harry's limp, lifeless body. That's not actually lifeless, but lifeless body to Hogwarts. And Voldemort parades his dead body. Uh, And it's really sad for Hagrid. Because that's fucking traumatizing. They go back to Hogwarts. It's daytime. Uh, and Neville, Neville Longbottom, the kind of weird kid throughout the entire franchise, is the only one, the first one, to stand up to Voldemort. 
saying that Harry may be dead, but the spirit that he was fighting for, the reason for the fight, isn't dead. I'm getting chills. And he's and he's willing to stand up to Voldemort again, like a little John Snow moment. Uh, and he whips up the sword of Gryffindor. Uh, and after this like amazing speech, Harry comes back. And this is when like the final sequence ensues. And there is a lot of fucking explosions. Voldemort's like, kill him, like let him like get him out of here. Malfoy and his parents leave, and then uh, there's a lot of shit. The Death Eaters start attacking the school. They're trying to kill Carrie. Harry and Voldemort are having a fight throughout the entire sequence while the school is like under siege again. Ron and Hermione go down to the Chamber of Secrets. Oh, that ha- I forgot to mention that. They go down to the Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> kill another Horcrux earlier. I completely forgot to mention that. They kiss for the first time. They're dating now. Uh, <laughs> I forgot to mention it. Uh, but that happens, and they... Oh, that happens during the sequence, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, and then... Yeah, and they go to the Chamber of Secrets more in the beginning. Okay. Well, it happens during the sequence. I forgot to mention it. And the, the biggest thing I got from this fight is... It's obviously, it's Harry and Voldemort's fight. Uh, but while shit's going down in the school, um, Nagini, they're trying to kill it. And they're trying to figure out how they're going to kill it. They try getting a Vasilis Fane. It throws the fangs away. It's about to kill Hermione and Ron. Until Neville, fucking sword of Gryffindor, comes back and chops off Nagini's head. And comes now, in with the LeBron. Yeah, and now Voldemort can be killed. He's at his most vulnerable. And this begins the final sequence, the final fight, uh, where it's a massive fucking duel. Uh, and Harry defeats Voldemort, and he just disintegrates into ashes. Uh, it's it's a really awesome scene. It's one of the best, most visually pleasing scenes of the the franchise. Um, and you kind of see the aftermath. Harry reveals the reason why the Elder Wand didn't, even after he killed Snape, was because it belonged to Malfoy. He broke the wand, threw it in the river, because the wand now belonged to him, because he disarmed Malfoy in the rumor requirement. So he doesn't want the Elder Wand. It's a power that's too much. Throws it in the lake next uh, below Hogwarts uh, and everything's great. Fast forward 17 years, 18 years, and it's in the 2000s and Harry, Ron, Hermione, Harry's beginning now. They're all taking their kids to, uh, to Hogwarts. The end. Wow. That was a lot. All right. So let's move on to our review portion. <laughs> are you boys ready? Chase, are you alive? Yeah, I've just been waiting. I'd be asleep, Mario. <laughs> I'd be asleep. I know. <laughs> I was like, he's got to be asleep. All right. <laughs> this will be edited. So let's, re- let's go into the reviews. Favorite characters of this franchise. Who would like to go first? I'll go first. So I think kind of it's very similar to Lord of the Rings. My favorite is Hermione. And I think it's mostly because she's a good friend, uh, first and foremost, and she's there for Harry and she's there for Ron. But more than anything, she's motivated and she's smart. And if Hermione wasn't around, Harry would have been dead in the first film. He would have been dead in the second <laughs> film. Like, the he would have never made any film. Like, she's the reason he's alive because Harry's a dumbass and Ron's even dumber than he is. So without them, the, there would no be there wouldn't be a Harry Potter book. 
there wouldn't be a, a series to even go with. So I think she's the best. She's funny, and uh, she really does make the series, in my opinion. Yep. I'll go next. Uh, I feel like I'm being hipster with my answers. But my favorite character, it's between two. Sirius Black slash Lupin are the honorable mention, because I really love both of them. Uh, but my favorite character is a character that's really criminally underused. It's Luna Lovegood. She's fucking awesome. Uh, she's really great to Harry. Uh, the kind of wisdom she's able to impart. She's really an adult character. And very. I, I, I like Luna. I was really able to relate with that character. Uh, really, really cool. Uh, and is a massive reason to why Harry was able to overcome all of the trauma he all had right. gone through. Well, I will go next. Mine is going to be Severus Snape. I think he is by far one of the most developed, most well-written, um, and just one of the best characters in my opinion. I love his whole character arc. Um, I think he is very well done. Yeah, I I think that act's probably the best. Alan Rickman is really really good all right so the next category of our review most disliked moments or aspects of the film uh so this is really nitpicky but this is like not hard for me to find it's just it's been a like a criticism of mine throughout the entire franchise or not throughout the entire franchise but from the beginning of the franchise and it may sound harsh but the acting especially from Daniel Radcliffe in the first two films is so fucking terrible. He's a, <laughs> he, he's, he's like 12 years old. He was still a terrible actor. I can't forgive him because I've seen really good child actors like Hermione. Emma Watson as a little kid is still a great actress. Daniel Radcliffe is a really bad actor in Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets and Prisoner of Azkaban. There's a huge step up. And from there, he's a good actor. Uh, but Daniel Radcliffe really sucked in the first two films. Okay, well, I will go next. <laughs> Again, for me, this is like, you know, picking a needle out of a haystack because it's just like, this is one of my favorite series of all time. Um, but my biggest issue with the franchise as a whole is the Chamber of Secrets. It's one of the reasons why it's my least favorite in the franchise. Um, I feel like there are a lot of plot conveniences in that film. If you look at the history of all of the films, we don't even have to look at the history of all of the films. We can just look at the film previously to Chamber of Secrets. When you look at Sorcerer's Stone and the finale moments of the movie, when they're getting down to the bottom to get to the Sorcerer's Stone, they all have to fight for themselves, play to their strengths, and get themselves to the next part of the challenge. Whether it's being in the... Uh, first part where they're in the devil's snare and it's all the vines and Hermione uses her logic to get them out of it to the second room when Harry has to fly around the room to get the key and because he's the, like a super well you know flown Quidditch player so that's like playing to his strengths to the final room when they play chess and Ron gets them through that you know in the whole movie they foreshadow Ron being super good at chess and in that final sequence he gets him through the chess room so they had to play to their strengths they had to earn their way to the victory you know what I mean in the chamber of secrets there are two moments when Harry and Ron and Hermione well not really Hermione but Harry and Ron are presented with danger 
One of them is when they're in the forest and they're confronting Aragog, the spider. And the other one is when they're in the Chamber of Secret. And in the moment in the forest when they're with Aragog and the spiders are swarming them and all hope is lost and they're literally about to die. All of a sudden, Ron's car, which up until this point really has shown no sig- you know, signal that it's sentient or yeah. has a brain of its own or you know, any of that, at this point has really not shown that, comes in out of nowhere, swoops in, picks them up, and takes them away. And it's kind of like, oh, <laughs> you know, like I would have loved to have seen Harry fight his way out of that. And instead, it was kind of like a convenient, like they just got saved. And then again, it happens in the Chamber of Secrets. You know, Harry obviously fights the Basilisk. I'm not arguing that. But he's, it, the, the way it happens is very convenient for him. Basically, he's in the Chamber of Secrets. Dumbledore's bird flies in, hands him the hat. The hat mm. just so happens to have the sword of Gryffindor inside of it. The bird attacks the snake's eyes, which, which is really the only way it can kill Harry unless he gets eaten. And then that's like the first convenience right there. The bird attacks the eyes, gets rid of that possibility for Harry, and then he's presented with the sword. The second convenience happens again when Harry stabs the snake. And instead of when he pulls his arm out, instead of his arm coming out of the tooth, the tooth comes out with him. So it's like, I don't know, the tooth was loose, I guess. So the tooth comes out with him. And that tooth just so happens to be the thing that you need to kill horcruxes and get rid of tom riddle's ghost harry doesn't really even think about it he just decides to start stabbing it and it just so happens to be the thing that he needed and then the bird comes in and the bird just so happens to have the tears to heal harry so it starts crying on its arms and it kind of just feels like in that movie there's just plot convenience after plot convenience after plot convenience like it kind of feels like in every other movie harry really had to fight for his life and in this one it was like he was never in danger You know, like everything was kind of set up for him. And that's like, if I had to pick an issue with the franchise, that is it. Okay. And Chase? Um, I don't really have any like dislike moments because most of them are like from my childhood. And so it's a child movie. So uh, I kind of just remember them for what they are. But I think one of the things I do dislike the most. You have to come up with one. I had to come up with one. No, I, I will come up with one because I do. There's a lot I hate about this series and J.K. Rowling, which I'm going to get into right now. Uh, but one is having a part one for two movies. I hate that stupid ass because it's just a money grab. You could have cut the movie into an hour and made it a three hour final film. Instead, we have to. I, in my honest opinion, I hate part one. I don't enjoy it at all. I think it's very slow and boring, and it um, honestly kind of ruins that part for me of the series. And because of that, uh, it's an issue, and it's just a money grab just to make another billion dollars on the film. So that was really a dislike portion of the movie, but I want to get more into the fact of J.K. Rowling and what she does afterwards with the movies. And one of those is claiming that Dumbledore is gay, which nothing has ever been said about this in any of the movies but or the books. But somehow yeah, she's Dumbledore, really made a clown of herself on Twitter. And, that, and that's what the issue is, is that um, Hermione is supposed to be black. There's no rabbit holes on reddit of hermione was actually trans and i don't like nothing wrong with any of that it's just like stupid like the books have already been written why do you have to keep changing these like it kind of puts like an issue on the films in general for films i grew up on and loved and it kind of i don't know like the films were made the way they were it's a a form of 
art, you know, artwork, right? So there's no reason to like say this is how it should have been and things like that. But my favorite was uh, she said before there was a uh, plumbing at Hogwarts, they would just shit wherever they wanted and they clean up with their wand. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> oh my god! I can find the tweet for you. But she said that she said before there was plumbing in the Wizarding World, they would just poop wherever and they would uh, clear it up with their wand. Jesus. Yeah, and I would definitely agree that J.K. Rowling is the one who ruins it. <laughs> the worst part. I've seen so many tweets on So Chase, for Y'all yours, I basically put part one, comma, mm-hmm. lame add-ons to an already well-done series. <laughs> that would be a, a breakdown, yeah, a synopsis. Awesome. Well, you guys want to get into the favorite moments? Yep, let's get into the next one, favorite moments. So just, it's going to be hard, but pick one. I can go, because I, I know what my favorite moment is. Okay. Can I give an honorable mention? Yeah, I will. My honorable mention is definitely when Hogwarts comes to life. That scene, Hogwarts comes to life. Okay. Um, I really like the scene. It gives me fucking chills. It's such a great scene. Uh, it, like Watching it live, um, I think I may have even had like, a tear in my eye. I was like, yes! Yes! But that's my honorable mention. My favorite scene, though, uh, and I'm I'm a little masochistic for saying this, uh, but it's when Harry Potter uses the port key to bring himself and Cedric Diggory's dead body back. That scene is so fucking chilling. Everyone's cheering, everyone's screaming, everyone's having a blast. Uh, they won, and Harry's just lying on top of his dead friend's body, who really gave his life for Harry. Uh, yelling he's back and he it's his first like real like death he's had to personally because he was a he was a toddler newborn baby when his parents died which is really a still a horrible thing but he experienced and you experience it with harry and it's really sad and it's such a well done scene okay i like that i love that um i will go next so my honorable mention what, I mean, it's it's difficult because so many come to my mind. Um, but my honorable mention would be um, in the Order of the Phoenix when Harry is fighting back against Voldemort and he uses his happy memories to, you know, get rid of him in his mind. And it, I just think it's such a well-done sequence. And... I love little montages like that when you get to see like, you know, snippets of the whole series, yeah. and that's one of those ones that like, um, really gets to me. But that's my honorable mention. Um, my pick for my favorite scene, though. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> so not fair because I have like, okay. I feel you. Uh, I you want me to give my guess for what you're. What is it? Uh, the Severus Snape. That that Damn that's it. one. That's one of three. That's one of that's three. Not, I have three. three. So I won't say that one because Chase wants to say that one. <laughs> I have two other ones that I'm like struggling to pick between. Um, I'll just say them. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so one of them, my favorite scene is when Harry and uh, Sirius are outside of the Whomping Willow in Prisoner of Azkaban, and they're kind of just waiting there. And Harry is like talking to him, and he's talking about his dad, and 
Sirius Black offers him to come live with him, and it's just like oh, a really a beautiful, scene. touching scene. And I really it's sad knowing what happens. It is because like right after like you know shit and happens, yeah, it's it's such a well done scene, and I really, really, really like it. Um, yeah, and then the other one is aside from the Severus Snape one. The other one is when um, Harry and Hermione are in the tent and they're dancing. I think it's a really, really nice scene. And it's in the book, it's described in such a really well done way. And then they executed it in the film really well. That, that's why I like Deathly Hollows because I just feel like David Yates, the guy who did those films, he really paid attention to the books more than any of them, I feel like. And I feel like he really, like when I, re when I read them, it's exactly how I pictured them. And that scene with Hermione and Harry, I think, is such a beautiful scene between... Uh, two characters in a story. Nice. Yeah. So I'm just gonna give this one just came to my mind. Um, but so when I was when I was a kid, I'd always watch uh, the first uh, Sorcerer's Stone, and I watched Chamber of Secrets all the time because those was the only two I owned on DVD. So one of my favorite moments out of either of those uh, at the end of Chamber of Secrets when Dobby becomes free, I just thought that was such a, a clever. Oh scene. yes. Just seeing him being abused, like. It's just abused, you know, throughout the entire film and beating himself. And you find out that he's part of Malfoy's family and Harry gives him the sock in his book. I thought that was so touching just to, like, finally see him free. And then it's mm -hmm. just the saddest moment in part oh, one I know. When, he, when he leaves. Um, but my favorite, I would say, is easily, and I think a lot of people's favorite is when you find out that Snape isn't evil really he is the half-blood prince and he is a, a good person and he's always been there to watch harry and dumbledore was you know with snape telling him you know you like what to do and you know snape loved harry's mother and hated his dad but he he was there for harry and he was always looking out for him even though throughout the entire series you think that this guy's out to get him he hates him and oh, yeah. it just turns out he was actually saving his life for seven years, mostly. Yeah. Really, really good. And really when you go back and rewatch the series, knowing what you know, you, you see it in every film. Like, he's constantly mm -hmm. doing shit. Definitely. All right, moving on to the final category of our review. Favorite film. Who wants to go first? I can do mine. Okay, go ahead. I had to do a lot of soul searching because I know the last time we kind of debriefed after we finished the series, it was really difficult of a choice for me. I was struggling between three films. Uh, Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix, and Deathly Hollows Part 2. I would still say that my favorite film has not changed after the rewatch. It is still Goblet of Fire. I love that movie. It is really adventurous, action-packed. Hearing Chase describe it, I was like, damn, I want to read it. I it, know, I it's know. A, it's like, I really, it's a really great uh, and it's really, it's got my favorite scene in the entire saga in it. Uh, and it's such a good story, and it's so, it's the best-paced story, in my opinion. Uh, good character building, too. Really enjoy it. It's my favorite film of the franchise. You want to go next, Chase? Yeah, I could do that. So I was also thinking that. So I think my top two, just like before Deathly Hallows, were always uh, Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire. And I don't want to say Deathly Hallows Part 2 because I think that's pretty cliche because I think we all love it and we yeah. appreciate the ending to the saga. So I'm, I'll, do, I'll do Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, I love this film and 
if we i don't know if we could do like a link on like the, the podcast description but to that like youtube video that dan sent us is so oh yeah like well done to like understand the film but I don't, it makes I you understand to... and respect the film to a higher degree yeah for those of oh, you who don't know it's a link that breaks down the do you know we, we can just plug them right now yeah let me um let me try and find it real quick give me a minute keep talking though chase yeah i'll just go for it um yeah so when i was younger i didn't really care for prisoner basketball when i finally got on dvd still love the first two more but as i grew older i started to like it more i love the twist and i i really like it more than anything that it's basically it's soul movie you talked about this earlier frankie that it's nothing compared to the rest of the series you don't have voldemort in this film it's more of a of who is um serious black and who's this bad person that escaped uh you know azkaban in so I really love it. And then the twist at the end where you find out that Hermione's been using time travel essentially to go back for classes. And um, I just like how they were able to uh, fix everything with that. And it just makes it a good twist and made it a really interesting movie. And it was dark. The film was a, a dark film to start off the series and very good dialogue throughout it as well. Yeah, it's, I think uh, like cinematically it's the best film mm-hmm. in just terms of overall filmmaking. All right, so I found the video that uh, really describes why it's should have been an Oscar-winning film, in my opinion, or at least an Oscar-nominated. Um, it's called The Prisoner of Azkaban Film, a cinematic masterpiece video essay by Movie Flame. They are a YouTube account. Go and check that video out. Yeah, especially if you've seen... Don't watch it until you've seen Prisoner of Yes, because it'll spoil all the good parts. Yeah, because we, we spent a long time talking about these films, but we still didn't... There's a lot of stuff in there. You cut out, would you say? We spent a long time t- giving synopsis of these films, probably too long, but we still didn't spoil it. Right, I know. We still like missed out on a lot, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Did you guys see the tweet that I sent you guys? Uh, I don't know. When did you send it? I sent it on uh, like today. It's on Twitter. But basically, it's an article that says, Alfonso oh, yeah. didn't want to direct Harry Potter until Guillermo del Toro called him an arrogant bastard. In Spanish. <laughs> and basically said, uh, he said, have you read the books? I said, no, I haven't read the books. He says, you skinny, you're such a fucking arrogant bastard. You're mm-hmm. going right now to fucking bookshop and get the books and you're going to read them and you'll call me right away. <laughs> it doesn't sound as offensive <laughs> in Spanish. Trust me. <laughs> it doesn't sound as offensive. But uh, yeah, reading that was so funny. Yeah, Prisoner of Azkaban's a good one. It is. All right, so I'm going to go into my favorite one. I mean, you, you with me it's hard to pick. I love them all so much. Um, but the one that I think has the most meaning to me and the one that makes me just really feel something is The Order of the Phoenix. That's the one that I think uh I relate to the most. I understand Harry in that film the most and like his state of mind and the way he is. Um I just love that film. I think it's really well done. I love that Luna Lovegood's in it. I love the the practicing in the room of requirement. It's got a, one of the most tragic deaths in the series to me, Sirius Black. I think it's a really good film. Yeah, it's really, really good. All right. Instead of ranking each film, do you want to just rank the series maybe? or I can rank each film still. So okay, okay. I didn't know if you guys were done. <laughs> yeah. I wrote it out while you guys were talking. <laughs> oh, I am. All right, so let's start with Sorcerer's Stone. I will go first. Uh, This film is like my childhood. Some of my earliest memories in life are 
this film. Like my earliest memories of trick or treating involve Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. My earliest memories of Christmas involved Harry Potter and the Sorcerer. Like the, it's just some of my earliest memories, and so that goes into my rating a lot. Uh, but for me, it's a nine point five of a film, as in like I don't really care if you think I have credibility, but it's for me a nine point five. Awesome. Well, I'll go, we can just go down the list. Um, I'll go next. I really enjoyed this film. Um, it's a good intro to the series. It's definitely a kid's film, and I didn't have that same emotional attachment. Uh, but rewatching it as an adult, it's like around a, you might hate me for this, like an 8.5, 8.4, 8.5. I definitely understood that that's more likely where you were going to be going. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I'm feeling about this movie. Really enjoyed it. So I'm kind of I'm with you on that one, Frankie. I and with you, Dan. I loved the Sorcerer's Stone as a kid. I, I went as Harry Potter for Halloween one year between my Darth Maul phases. Um, I had just as <laughs> but uh, with Sorcerer's Stone, I, I grew up with it and I love it. Older, I, I I can't like like it just is too much of a child's film to me now. And so I, with you, Frankie, I, I'd actually give it an eight. Um, I still I love the film and I, I will always watch it, but I uh, I think as I grow older I, I don't like it as much as I once did. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, Chase, you want to start this? Go yeah, just from top to bottom for all these. Yeah, sure. So uh, Chamber of Secrets, a very good film. Again, watch it all the time as a kid, uh, but definitely not as good as Sorcerer's Stone, and I'd give it a seven five. And I think. Like what you, Dan, mostly what you said with like your least favorite part of the film is kind of what ruins this uh, Chamber of Secrets for me to even give it that rating in the first place. So that's why I give it a seven five. Yeah, and I'd actually have the exact same rating. Uh, it's my least enjoyed film of the entire film. It's not a bad film any standard. Uh, it's the longest film. It can drag a bit, and I, it doesn't have the same forgiving qualities or the same nostalgia as Sorcerer. All right, for me, this is definitely, I still love this film, but it's going to be my lowest rating out of the franchises. It's an 8.9. I still think it's like one of the top films of my life, but it's it's the lowest in the, in the series. Not a bad rating. Well, I'm excited to review Prisoner of Ask because it's the movie. It was one of my pride things that I fucking routine. <laughs> I thought I hadn't seen it, but I recognize a it was really, really good. Um, one second. I, I keep repeating the order of the films in my head so I can remember the rings. Uh I can go first if you want. Yeah, yeah, if you want to. So The Prisoner of Azkaban is in my top three. I think it's one of the best. For me, it's a 9.6. I think it's outstanding. Oh, okay. I love this. Oh, you want to go, Frank? Yeah, uh, it, for me, I really enjoyed it. It's a 9.0. It's a right. really well-done film. Filmmaking is on, like, superb. I'd agree. Yeah, I love this film a lot. I give it an 8.8. It's definitely in my top three of my favorite Harry Potter films. Awesome. All right, Goblet of Fire. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, I didn't see that. Uh Five, another really good one. In my top three. I give it an eight seven. I love the action in this film and it gives you some of the most action in the series. And it uh I love the just the story in this in the movie. 
I, I really enjoyed this film. Uh, Dan, go. Uh, for me, it's it's one of my favorites. It's going to be the exact same as Prisoner of Azkaban um, for different reasons, um, but it's going to be a 9-6. And uh, for this one, it's a 9-4. It's my highest rating of the entire uh, I really love this kid. I love him as an adult. Uh, the reasoning for a 9-4 is I think it's about one point higher than the uh, the Two Towers was for me. I love that. Yep. Yeah, that's surprising. All right, so The Order of the Phoenix, I will go in. This is one of my favorite Harry Potter films. And for me, this is a 9-7. This is probably the highest rating uh, that I give these films. Um, and that's definitely this one. Uh, for me, I like this film a lot. I gave it an 8-5 for me. This one, out. I didn't hear what you said. Oh, I, I gave it an 8.5. So for me, this one receives the award of uh, Comeback Player of the Year, Most Improved Film. <laughs> uh, because I, did, I hated this movie as a kid. I could not appreciate it. Uh, and I'm so glad I was wrong. It's probably my my number two film. Um, it, it's the, my number two and three film are almost equal. Uh, so it's hard to pinpoint it down. Um, it's between a nine two or a nine three variable on the day. Well, going into the Half Blood Prince, uh, the ending is amazing. Overall. This film, I didn't enjoy that much. It's funny. Um, it is probably the uh, the second lowest film for me. Uh, I'd say around an 8.2 for The Half-Blood Prince. It gets an 8.2 because it's funny still. Uh, really funny at some points, and the end is amazing. And that's kind of... If you guys remember, I fell asleep during this movie. Um, <laughs> but... I uh, I really I like the end of the film, but for the majority of the film, I don't care for it, and that kind of what leads to my rating. And I'm actually going to give it a seven point eight. So I actually love this film. I love the you know we get our fair share of action, and I love how this one's like very story based, um, and I love the history surrounding like Voldemort. Um, this is probably like in my th three or four pick of like the whole franchise. Um, so I would give this a nine five. Nice. And you want to go straight into Deathly Hollows part two? Yeah. So Deathly Hollows part two, again, I love this one a lot. I love the story uh, surrounding it and like the character development in it. Um, so this would be equal for me uh, to some of the other ones. And it's a nine six. Nice. Uh, Deathly Hollows Part 2 is a bit higher than the Half-Blood Prince. Are we uh, doing Part 2? One. Part one? Oh, Part 1, sorry. Sorry, Part 1. Fortean slip. It's a bit higher than Half-Blood Prince. Uh, it's still pretty slow. I don't like them, the whole traveling scene. It's not like I don't like it. It's just, it's a very slow sequence. It's like 45 minutes or so. It feels like that, at least. Uh, and it's not super exciting, but it gives a lot of backstory and i appreciate that uh this one's around an 8.5 all 
All right, you guys are going to hate me for this one. Um, I just hate part one movies if they have a two-part ending. And because of that, I, I'm actually giving it a seven, even. Part of me just, like, died. <laughs> <laughs> Who's next? Am I next? Sorry, You're please. next. Well, going into this one, uh, Deathly Hollows Part 2 is one of the top three for me. I think it is probably my third film. It's really enjoyable. It's an amazing conclusion. Really heartwarming. Uh, parts that just give you chills. Amazingly epic action sequences. Has my, uh, what's it called? My uh, honorable mention in that film. It is a uh, 9.2. So I, as well, I love this film. Um, the ending is just so good. Uh, and it's just so sad to have the series be concluded at that point. But uh, with that, I'd give it a, a 9.0. For me, this is one of the second best ones in the whole series. And so because of that, I'm going to make it basically tied with The Order of the Phoenix with a 9.7. Shocker, shocker, I had the highest rating. <laughs> On every single one? Every single I'm pretty one. sure every single one, yeah. I, I don't think mine went below a 9. 8.9 for Chamber. Oh, there you go. I mean, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised. All right, are you guys ready to move on? It was enjoyable. Go film.